Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Overlap, the post-Champions League final Overlap podcast. This this episode is going to live in infamy. I've already I've already conceded that because I told a couple of close friends on Saturday at halftime during this game. And I will I, it's in writing, so I can't I can't go back on it. But Rian, I basically said uh, if the result holds one nil um, this week's podcast will be insufferable. Um, so I'm expecting <laughs> possibly the worst podcast for me personally today, <laughs> but for you, possibly the greatest one we've ever done. So I'll just leave it at that. And I'm not even going to say much more. I, I, I just want to know how you're feeling, honestly, before we, before I even ask you how you're doing, just, how are you feeling? Just how's life? <laughs> oh, life, life is obviously great. It was actually really, really awesome until like two hours ago or more like maybe like last night when I thought the Sixers were going to end up sweeping oh, no, the no, Wizards. No. And then, and then <laughs> of course, Embiid fell on his ass and somehow ended up hurting his knee from that. And now we have no idea if he is going to play uh, the next week or so. So it was going the next really week, great. Yeah, no, I mean, well, well, they don't know if they're going to get to the second round now. So. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, the reports are right knee soreness with, which probably means a broken leg. So actually, actually, it torn it right ACL from what yeah. I uh, <laughs> yeah. heard based considering on that prognosis. This, considering how medical reports go for the Philadelphia 76ers, it's usually they usually do the opposite hey, of hey, laying hey. down easy. But, well, don't, don't, anyway. first off, don't anyway, discriminate. Sorry, sorry. It's, yeah, it's yeah, not, yeah. no, 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 it's yeah, all Philly yeah. sports teams. Let's yes. be very clear. It's not just the Sixers. <laughs> Give credit. No, 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 no. But no, we're gonna be we're gonna be positive on that sense and hope that he comes back because <laughs> otherwise I I will act like this team didn't exist anymore. But outside of that, great doing doing well. Uh, we had a we had a um a pretty shitty weather weekend for in in New York here for Memorial Day weekend, just like the worst weekend possible to have weather to have the weather be like low 50s rainy for 60 percent of the weekend and um give you almost nothing to do outside but we can't all be like Elias we can't all be in Florida no no you can't you can't but I mean being in this state does have a lot of pros and cons because (laughs) the alternative is yes being in the freezing cold weather and having a crappy Memorial Day weekend I had a great Memorial Day weekend at the beach but the flip side to that is no one here has heard of the concept of a mask, like no one basically. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it, it, pros and cons, pros and cons, man. Like I wear my mask everywhere, even, even though I'm vaccinated and all, but it's uh, yeah, it's a little, little contentious <laughs> to say the least. I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that, but I'm coming home soon. Rian and I are going to play some, some soccer at some point when I'm back this weekend, I think. Yeah, right, Rion. Yeah, I mean, he he says we? that he says why that while, we? while just downing beers, you know. So he's gonna show up. <laughs> he's gonna show up like one of those like African dads for those who really know. Just on Sunday league with just stomachs bigger than their firstborns. Yeah, it's yeah. They take it serious more seriously than anyone else. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, the the stomach to uh, effort ratio is really, really just linear. <laughs> Man, he'll get pissed at you for not playing a one-two. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, in, yeah, in a small-sided game that's like five people. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's too real, too real. But anyway, Rayon, outside of African fathers and uh, God, I, your insufferableness that will be this podcast. Let's talk about the final. Let's talk about the Champions League final. Of course, Chelsea beating out Manchester City 1-0. This game did not go to penalties like I potentially expected in, in the way that I kind of expected Chelsea to potentially win. You and I both chose Manchester City as our teams to win this game. You and I both were leaning that way basically up until I think an hour and a half before the game started when we saw the lineups come out. So let's let's start there because I think that's when our our questions at the very least started to arise in All right, let's be honest, it wasn't really arising in Chelsea's lineup. It was it was arising in in Pep's team. So, let's start with Pep and with Manchester City Rion. Um what really stood out to you about this lineup in a shocking surprising way? Um and I think I know what you're going to say cuz I think you and I had very similar thoughts on this, but I will be honest and say that I was pleasantly surprised to not see as many changes as I expected. Yeah, that's well, I think to start off with with the lineups from City's point of view, well, I didn't expect honestly, I didn't expect any surprises because I think I think we talked about this last week where it was like he already does a bunch of weird stuff with this team. He's done so much quote-unquote weird stuff with this team um, throughout the season. Like, they've stopped playing a striker anyway, so that couldn't have been something that would have surprised us. I think we said it actually would have been surprising to see Jesus or Aguero. So, like, we're already – that part of, like, Pep's mindset in terms of, like, everyone is a midfielder and a team – you could have a full team of midfielders. Like, I was already there. Like, I was like, yeah, sure, you could do that. and That wouldn't surprise me that much. Um, it, it was the, the obvious one is that there was no Rodri or, or Fernandinho in the lineup there. And I think my first thought seeing it was, okay, they're just going to, he's just doubling down on possession here. Right. And that, and that was my first thought seeing it. So I, I actually think I turned to a couple of people cause we had, we had a mini watch party at our place watching uh, to see this game. And I think I turned to a couple of people being like, wow, well, this makes me think the game is going to be more boring than I expected. <laughs> Little which, which to, to be fair, to be fair, I don't think it was boring. Yeah, no, 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 not at all. Not at all. The first, the first 10 to 15 minutes, it was so back and forth, which I think in all honesty plays played into Chelsea's hands more than cities, but yeah, I mean, it was it was a more open first half than I expected, and I think a lot of that had to do with just the fact that it, that Pep put out a lineup that had seven midfielders and three defenders, and this six midfielders are obviously the front three, and then uh, Gundogan, Bruno Silva, and uh, Kevin De Bruyne. Um, and then the seventh is Zinchenko, who's who's played in the midfield in literally every other 
stop in his career outside of playing for Pat Guardiola, who has just made him a left back who turns into a midfielder whenever they have the ball. So, so they played seven midfielders, which that would be the big, that was the uh, kind of galaxy brain thing there. But, but Ellis, what, yeah. were, your, what were your thoughts when you, yeah. when you I, saw I had, the I had similar thoughts in the sense that I didn't, well, I had dissimilar thoughts, I would say, in the sense that I didn't view it as a, why is he playing seven midfielders? Because I didn't view it as seven midfielders. I viewed it as maybe six-ish midfielders or or maybe five. And two of those were the incorrect starts. Like, I don't, I don't think that Bernardo Silva should have started this game. I debatably think that Gundogan should have started this game. Bernardo Silva, too, just for the record, I think had something like he, he dropped essentially what we call a stinker um, and I think had zero shots, zero you know shots on or off target, one dribble attempt that was not successful. He lost possession four times, was dribbled past twice. Like it wasn't pretty and there's no other redeemable positive stats that I would I could read you that would change that otherwise. But the, the moral of the story is, what I expected with this lineup was both Rodri and Fernandinho to start because I figured that in my heart of hearts, a combination of a front three of Kevin De Bruyne, Riyad Mahrez, probably Phil Foden, that some combination of those three with Rodri, with Fernandinho, and maybe Phil Foden's in in the um, what's called in the midfield, and and you, you decide to play a Gabriel Jesus is, is probably what I was realistically thinking. It it basically protects City because the first ten to fifteen minutes showed exactly why I, I think this was just the incorrect incorrect lineup. It, it, it exposed City in so many ways through the middle that like Werner and even Havertz in. Yeah. Yeah, on the goal. Oh, it's called. On the goal. We're we're free on goal. Yeah. in the first fifteen minutes, like three times, like and there was a moment. I think I I also think the first goal and the only goal showed it perfectly how split that Ruben Diaz and John Stones were as a result of playing Bernardo Silva and Gundogan, who are more attacking minded midfielders, and you basically. It was a numbers game. It was a numbers yeah. game. And I think Pep lost that numbers game with the lineup from, from the start. So that that's that was gonna be the point that I made. Yeah. I thought it was I thought it was also somewhat surprising to see Raheem Sterling. Yeah, it's that right? that's that that was who I would have probably replaced with Gabriel Jesus as much as I kind of rag on Jesus. I think for the purpose of this game probably would have been more effective. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I yeah, I think yeah, I mean I think Jesus would have been a surprise only in the sense of not expecting a a striker which I, I will put in quotations for Gabriel Jesus but a, a forward of that ilk um playing but yeah I mean Raheem Sterling I think has one goal in his last 17 appearances and in for Manchester City and generally like the second half of the season he's been he hasn't been good like I mean Really, like, his confidence seems a bit shot. I think in this game, he actually, in that first half, uh, I think City's best chances came from his side of the pitch. And it was just his execution wasn't there. And 
so much of that has to do with confidence. So much of that has to do with just the form he's in is not, hasn't been good. So that, so that was, that was a surprise that I didn't think about much when I saw the lineup itself, but then when the game started and he was actually there and I was like, wow, that's an interesting one. Um, but shall we move on to the actual game? Let's here. Yes, right? yes, yes. Because, so uh, before, before you say anything, I actually have mm-hmm. a genuine question for you. At what point did you, or I, I, let me phrase it this way. How close were you to breaking your TV when Timo Werner missed that chance? <laughs> That's my only question. I would, I would, I would counter by saying which one, but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> because I think he has two very good chance, or yeah, two very good chances. I think the first one where I think it's. Havertz that ends up playing like basically um cutting it back for him and he just he goes for it with his left foot and pretty much whiffs it and hits it onto like his right foot and then the ball ends up out of the box in general um that, that one I'm, I will be a bit harsher on than the second one which I think was uh a turn I think Mount wins the ball off of um off of stones and wins it high up and plays it into Timo's like maybe 10 yards from goal and it's just like slightly under his feet and he just can't get his body pretty much can't get his body shape in the right position to get a good strike off and that one's I'll give him it's a little harder but I as much as I'll say that his runs and especially on the on the uh the Havertz goal his runs caused fits for uh for City all day and and this has been the for anyone who might consider themselves a Timo Werner apologist or or just someone who who despite his struggles in terms of the actual finishing this game and I think especially that first half is what you show to people that are like against Timo Werner being in the team and and against Timo Werner as a longer term option and granted I mean who, who we can't see into the future so I'm sitting here crossing my fingers that he'll get that the finishing will will revert back to the mean um next season but look that the the actual off ball movement it caused fits and without him like honestly love Christian Pulisic and I, and I thought that even when he came on in the second half he, he provided a, a lot in terms of counterattacking, but on the Havertz goal, there's something like three city midfielders that are that gravitate towards Timo's side when he makes that run, including Stones, including um, Ruben Diaz, and without that, like there's no space for for the uh, for Havertz to run into. And like, I, I I think just for going from the first half, the spaces were there. For Chelsea, you could see it after the first 15 minutes, and it was really difficult for for I think City to handle. So, you make a lot of really good points, none of which I disagree with. I think that we are just having a different conversation. If I would say the first of Timo's shots goes in 
And I think that we're having a different conversation if Pulisic's shot goes in around the 75th minute too, which arguably both could have easily been finished. The reason why I say that is because I feel as though Werner and Pulisic have been two players in the Chelsea squad this season that have gotten a lot more, I guess, what's the opposite of plaudits? Just shame? Stick. I don't know. Stick. stick. Yeah, stick. Yeah. <laughs> um, they've gotten a lot more, but like the, the counter argument to that is that they, I would argue, potentially created the most chances in this game between the two of them. I don't actually know if that's statistically true and obviously Havertz scored. So that is important in this, but like in terms of chance creation, Timo and Pulisic were very important in that. And without those chances being created or that feeling of kind of overarching dominance from Chelsea, especially in the beginning of the first half and the latter portions of the first half and basically a majority of the second half, (laughs) like I don't think that this game is actually one nil. And I think that, the, the pace and the energy behind that front front three, I would probably call it, really led to City being pinned back. And so, yeah, it would have been great if they finished kind of to your point, but it's not, it was, luckily, it wasn't the end of the world right, because right. City also, let's be clear, should have taken their chances as, as few and far between as they came because, I mean, they didn't have any shots on goal after the eighth minute in this game until yeah. I think late, like late, late on after the 75th, 80th minute. So it, it was, it was, I don't think this was actually a close game. Like I think Chelsea firmly had this like well defended and massive, massive shout out to Antonio Rudiger for dropping one of the best player tribute articles I have ever read. And then just going oh, yeah. on to just, stuff Manchester City in the Champions League final a few days later. I'll I'll leave my thoughts there. Yeah, I mean the the performance from uh, obviously Chelsea's side was just magnificent, of course, as a team and I think that it's fair to say that it wasn't for for individuals in terms of the midfielders um, or sorry, I should say in terms of the, of the attackers, in terms of the attackers, I don't think it was individually fantastic games from all three of them. Right. But I think in terms of what they did, in terms of keeping the shape, the, the difficulties that Manchester city had in playing through the middle of Chelsea, so much of their play was there's nothing in the middle. We've got to play it. To out to Kyle Walker and and there were times where Kyle Walker was just like fuck it I've got to just try to sprint past Ben Chilwell and just and just play it play it past him try to sprint past him he tried to do that a few times and credit to Chilwell who handled that side really well like I mean most of City's attacks came from the left side so they, they didn't I think after the first 20 to 30 minutes they kind of stopped going after um after Chilwell and and a lot of their attacks were sent were really concentrated on Reese James' side, but they weren't able to find the spaces. And it, you wonder how much of that has to do with no, let's just say Fernandinho. Let's say like more likely of the two, if there were one of them to start, I think it would have been more likely Fernandinho starting in that game. 
And I just wonder, like, the knock-on effect of that, right? We talked a lot this season, especially when, like, Fabinho at Liverpool had to move from that holding midfield position into centre-back, and Liverpool basically kind of, their attack broke down. Like, like it, there was this weird chain reaction where he wasn't there, and then they couldn't quite get, like, Salah, Mane, and Firmino the same service. And I wonder if that if that came into play at all with Manchester City here too, because it's a totally different it's a totally different uh, build up play that happens if it's Fernandinho who's the deepest midfielder as opposed to Gundogan who at no point in the season has really played <laughs> that position for Manchester City. Like, I I think he has played it at one point in his career. I think with with Dortmund um, under Klopp and and he has done it before, but like he hasn't played that position at all this season and their attack has never had to build in that way either. And you just wonder what the knock-on effects of like their, of, um, you know, guys like Phil Foden, who I think he had a great chance early in the game uh, where Rudiger just, just an unbelievable block was able to, to somehow get in their last minute um, and, and block Foden's shot in the box. But the first half he was so central and and his um best moments this season for city have been like when he's on that left on, side on when left, he's in the yeah. channels and yeah. like and running at the defenders and and dribbling past them and stuff but he was i think he was in just such a such a clogged midfield there yeah yeah i mean there was a great shot though i will say of him up against Reese James uh on the on the left hand side and i mean early on he did you know play a little bit more in, in the half space on the left-hand side, but largely, like you said, I think because of the fact that he was so out of his normal position where we've seen him thrive the season, it really led to in the second half. Like, I don't know if you got this sense, but it almost didn't look like city were interested in winning this game. Like there was no sense of urgency, especially towards the latter half of the second half where you were like, you know, you're one nil down in the champions league yeah. final, right? Like this isn't, something to be proud of or anything like you're <laughs> aggressively going to lose this. If you don't pick up the pace, it just, it never came. And I think maybe I'm giving a little bit too much credit or not enough credit to Chelsea. And I should really be giving them a lot more credit because defensively they've been outstanding since Tuchel came in. I mean, truly outstanding. So that has to be a part of it, but it just, it didn't even look like they could change into like fifth gear. Yeah. You're you're right. You you were waiting for like what the customary thing that happens when a great team is down a goal, like the onslaught, the wave after yeah. wave of attacks to come and to make it difficult. And like you could really maybe only think of a couple times where like there's a cross that flashes across the box, but one of either like Chilwell or Aspilicueta or Reese James just clears the ball. Like it yeah. doesn't get to a city player it, that that is, those are like the kind of half chances that I could think of. And right. um, outside of that, yeah, there wasn't, there was, there was a really, really tough, um, a really tough position that I think Pep put himself in by playing the lineup that he did when you basically play like those six midfielders without a single one of them really uh, being comfortable sitting back and just protecting 
the space as as a Fernandinho or Rodri might have. It, it was hard for them to be put in a position where they are down a goal, and now he couldn't change the team to make it any more attacking than it actually was. Right? Yeah. They really went. They really went for it. Honestly, they in a way that you haven't seen them do in months, like maybe since the first month or two of the Premier League season, right? Um, I think just when you, that lineup came out, it was like, okay, they're really going for this and they're really just going to try to keep the ball and just attack, attack, attack. And when that didn't really work in the first half and they found themselves down a goal, like from there, it, it couldn't become it didn't feel like it could become any more um like feverish in terms of like the the intensity than um than it already than already potentially could have been right uh it, it's it was an interesting one i mean the, the game was i i think first of all the game far more entertaining than i would have expected and, and and I'm going off of more of what other people have said um, because I I was just like, look, I will probably find this game more entertaining than anyone else because I will be so tense during it, right? But you know, from from a lot of people, a lot of other, a lot of neutrals that watched the game, it, it it was I think a very fascinating game, even if it wasn't the most like end to end. There were what three total shots on target um in the game between the two teams i think chelsea had two and city had one but i think it was really really fascinating and and really interesting in terms of um seeing what the two teams were trying to do and i think from a a chelsea standpoint just a couple people that that i would love i need to give like the shout outs to in terms on the on the pitch obviously i already said uh timo Werner for you know, his great off-ball movement for the game that, that led to the goal. But Jorginho, a guy who's been maligned heavily by <laughs> a lot of people, including a lot of Chelsea fans, you go back and you watch that game, the amount of times where he's just in the right position to make an interception, because he because you know, the way that he and Conte play, Conte is the guy who's, ahead of him trying to run around and just like energize their bunny take the ball away from people. Yeah. <laughs> and and meanwhile Jorginho has to be sitting deeper and he's got to be the one that's that sits in front of the uh of the center backs and just tries to stop balls or tries to get or block passing lanes I should say tries to block passing lanes into that like number 10 area just outside of the box. And there were a few times where I thought he was great at it. And I thought he had a great game overall. And I, I think, you know, for whatever people say about him, I get it. He's not great when he's isolated one-on-one in a counterattack. However, if you just don't allow your team to get isolated like that, as we saw, unfortunately, so many times under, um, under Lampard, like, if you are organized and if he is just kind of left to his devices of being the guy who kind of patrols the area and doesn't have to move too much, um, I, I thought he was fantastic. And, and I thought he was fantastic in his distribution as well. And um, super, super happy for him. Like, it just, just because of, like, the, the shit that he gets. It's, 
Yeah, I, I think I think he's been. I think in, in each of the semifinal legs, he was fantastic. Um, I think the partnership between him and Conte is better than I thought it could have been. And I think a lot of that has to do with also Thomas Tuchel and just the way the team is set up. I can't wait, I will say, until we get to the 2021-2022 season and match day three of the Premier League, um, our third podcast of the season is titled Jorginho out uh for his antics in, in the beginning of the season i can't i just i'm just saying i can't wait for that but <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> it's also entirely possible you cannot tell me it's not it's, so i i mean i will not be the one ever touting it i <laughs> <laughs> but but i i understand like the look the guy can get caught very easily right and, that, and, and but, that's a problem <laughs> That's right. He can get caught, of course, of course. I, I'm, I'll never be on here and, and defending his athleticism. Let's just say that. Fair, okay? fair. But, but, but um, in terms of just reading the game and making crucial interceptions, he was. I, I forget um, exactly where he ranked in this, but when I was uh, doing a research for the team of the year, he was in the top five in terms of interceptions for for midfielders season, and it's just. Granted, obviously he wasn't more than N'Golo Kante, and, I, and we talked about this. There's only <laughs> there's only like two guys That's, who yeah. can even touch him. But right. um, but no, but he there, there's such there's such an obvious like positive of having him on the field, and and I and I just I just want to give him his flowers for this because rarely do even when he does play well, we rarely we rarely talk about him, but um. I thought at the end of the day, he was fantastic. And I loved seeing, I loved I, I, his emotions at the end of the semifinal, like too, he was crying. And then this one too, just, just bawling. Like, I, I think he deserves this. I think he really deserves it. I really didn't expect you to be such an apologist for, I, I don't think apologist is the right phrase for this, but like such a, <laughs> I guess, protector of, of Jorginho. I, I, I don't want to say I'm not that. saying he's the best midfielder or anything in the world. No, 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 no. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But no, like... I, obviously not. I just, I, I think that there are, I guess Jorginho is one of those players that does a very non-dynamic singular job very well. And that for what yeah. the purpose of this Chelsea season was fit perfectly. I just think that for the future, like that role is going to change for Chelsea, especially as they start bringing in new talent um you know this summer which they very obviously will will do and more likely get rid of players like Tammy and Kalamatsu Doi but I, I just I, I think that role requires a little bit more athleticism now because I, I mean at some point Conte just is gonna have to breathe <laughs> like a, <laughs> at some point so I, I I'm not this isn't me crapping all over Jorginho I just think that the role will require more in the future. So it's something to keep in mind, but we didn't even mention Conte's performance in in the final (laughs) until now, basically. And I just want to touch on that as, as something again, Conte might be one of my favorite players of the world in the world, like just as a, as a personality, as a human, as a, for me. Yeah. Yeah. As a footballer, as everything, as everything, as everything, he is such a, if you if you watch these like behind the scenes like out of context videos of him like my favorite has to be 
not the one where he like goes up and like claps the champion Z trophy <laughs> instead of kissing it. He just kind of pats it. My favorite is after France won the World Cup and he walks out to the stadium. Everyone does their own dances. You have Griezmann just Fortnite dancing, Umtiti like waltzing, and obviously everyone else doing their own thing. And Conte just looks like the most proud dad in the world walking out just smiling not not moving an inch just walking straight and there's something just beloved about uh, about him and i just uh god he's he's amazing he's amazing so and and i i I say that because i think his performance in the final was again similar to to how he played against madrid i think it was very reminiscent of him being in the right places at the right time and just bursting forward beyond beyond players and yeah. that is one of his most incredible skill sets especially for someone who's five six it's really really <laughs> impressive so I, I i don't even want to spend more more time on on him because i will go on a rant but <laughs> yeah. conte yeah not much else Take to say bow. i mean he was he was the uefa man of the match for both legs against real madrid and in the finals like he's he's now got a champions league he's got a world cup He's got uh, two Premier League titles. It, I don't know what else there is to say. If he wins the Euros with France as well, which obviously they're heavily favored, but um, like I, I we're, we're gonna have to like look up this list of players who have won, if you who have won domestic titles, who've won um, Champions League and uh, and um, uh, Euro, uh, European titles. Yeah, European right? cups. Euros. Yeah, yeah, it's. It, like I mean, off the top of my head, I'm, I can only really think of like what Xavi, Iniesta, Ramos, yeah, Ramos, yeah. It, it's a select few. It's a very such very a select, select few, few. And, and and especially especially for midfielders too. Like like that's going to be even shorter, of course, right? But uh, no, yeah, not not much else we can to say about it. Like the guys, like he's like I'm. He he's gonna go down as one of the greatest midfielders like, in the in modern European soccer history, like it's, he's, he's there. Like, and to think that really all of this happened in the last five years, really, because, because no one found him really until like, basically, basically, yeah, six years ago, just no one found him. No one knew he was there. Yeah. Right. Like you think about who knows what his career could have been if, if he was on, um, if he was on a, a, not sorry if he was even on a first division club because he was in league (laughs) in like 2013 and 14 so yeah you know who who knows what his career could have looked like um if he was found sooner but yeah there's there's uh there's not much else you can say about the guy um what a lovely human yeah that's all i'm trying to think for the anything else elliot so from from the game itself like i'm trying to think like the Look, the goal was fantastic. Kai well, Havertz scores his yeah. first. Kai Havertz. Well, not, I, I should say the team movement of the goal is fantastic. And yeah, what what I will say something towards what uh, what Ellis himself has has said about Edouard Mendy in the last few weeks. You look at the how that goal starts. It's a great ball out from Mendy to Chilwell, who he played that ball a few times in that first half, and it had to be on point because it, it couldn't. If it goes to Rudiger first, makes it easier for Kyle Walker to come and um and press, right? But right. the ball from Mendy is great, and um, that's yeah, sort of I distribution. Mean, 
it's yeah it's important to the modern goalkeeper yeah. goalkeeper yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and i think the last thing i'll say um i guess in regarding city's lineup or a setup there is i think even even with fernandinho or, or any of those defensive mids in the game i think there's kind of two trains of thoughts to this is that on the goal itself you look back Cal Walker is preoccupied with Mason Mount because the way that city were set up, whenever they had the ball, it basically turned into a back three where like Walker was like the right center back. And, um, and then stones was like the middle center back and, and Diaz was on the left because Dinchenko basically tucked in every time and just was just another midfielder, like in, in possession, in possession. Um, but on like a lot of these, a few of these plays, and I think Michael Cox writes, wrote a great article for The Athletic where he basically you know talked about the, the uh, tactics of the final. And Kyle Walker was just caught between pressing Mason Mount or going out to press Chilwell. And it was just hard. I think, he, I think it was just very difficult for him to pick one and just like anticipate where the ball is going. Because on the goal, he starts off on Mount and the ball is played to Chilwell, and now he's got to run out to Chilwell because right. Ran Mahrez is obviously not giving him any help. Well, this is <laughs> like, this well, this is exactly what I mean by starting Gunduan and Bernardo Silva are not going to get you defensive points. Yeah, it's that. That's the perfect example. If you had Rodri there, absolutely would be in the in the space between those two yeah. to like Walker press. Like, I, again, yeah. this is not me in the least. To in the least, like. No, no, yeah. I, I, this is not me trying to bounce part Pep. That's all I was going to say. I'm just saying for those instances, <laughs> these screamed out as obvious things to me. Yeah, no, no I was going to say, even even if um, one of those holding mids are there, you, you expect probably one of them picks up Mount there and allows Walker to go and press out, press to chill well, because what happens on the goal is he's caught in between two, and Chilwell smartly just plays the ball first time to Mount, who is now in so much space. And after Werner's run, everyone has shifted over and Zinchenko's no longer goal side of Havertz. And then it's just, I, I think, I think a couple of people have said this. It's a great, it's a great pass for Mason. Obviously it's a great pass for Mount, but you give a player of that quality, that much time and space. I think he would tell you himself that was actually not difficult for me at all to make that pass. So, so no, 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 no. not at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's at, the so end, at the end of the day, they made it easy. They like that goal. They made it easy for Chelsea. And um, I think Chelsea played really well defensively. I think the way that's, I think the way that city were set up meant that they didn't have to play perfectly um, in an attacking sense. So. No, no, I agree. The last thing that I will say um is just in terms of kind of takeaways from the the season as a whole, this isn't necessarily about the game, but the season as a whole. Remember about a year and a half ago, a little before COVID started, we had a conversation debate about how important a coach and a manager is to a team, a team dynamic, a team tactic, and generally team chemistry. Like, assuming obviously talent stays the same that to me was one of the most common themes throughout the season 
because of yes, obviously because Chelsea won with the brand new manager that came in the in the beginning of the calendar year, went on to win the Champions League, almost the FA Cup, and will definitely be one of the favorites heading into the Premier League next season. But also in terms of Manchester City versus PSG or Bayern versus PSG. Like it it kind of or gosh, yes, Bayern versus PSG. I'm forgetting the quarter and semifinal <laughs> ties already. Um, or or Ronald Coleman versus PSG. Like yeah. it showed again the qualities of why world-class managers are a paid the way they are and b are very very hard to come by for the right team and when you do find that in the way that i think pep has honestly found at city with having the support of everyone around him and also just being pep guardiola like that is probably the most important thing that you could do for a team that wants to compete in Europe right now is by bringing in a world-class manager and giving them the full support that they need to succeed. Because without that, you're half-assing your effort in Europe. And I think you absolutely saw that with Chelsea this season. Like that was one of the most, you know, the biggest things that I, I took away with it um, from the season. So just food for thought. Yeah, no, I mean, you think about the fact that Chelsea conceded what, two goals in the knockout stages <laughs> through what three rounds plus the final, right? Like they, and and Gary, we talk. There's a lot. There's been a lot of talk. Um, I think in during Tuchel's time as a Chelsea manager, in terms of that, they're not scoring enough, right? And and I think I've always kind of pushed back against that in terms of like, yeah, they're not executing when they're in the box enough. And, and I think that's still another level that they can improve on. But think about just the organization from this game, like there was just, there was no space. There was no space for, for city to be able to play their one twos around the box or even in the midfield. Um, so much of their play was, was wing focused and, it didn't allow guys like, like we said, Foden. It didn't allow guys like Kevin De Bruyne to really get the ball in space and run at defenders. I think they maybe, I think they had like two counterattacks that I can really remember in the first half. Uh, and like, and, and in the end, Chelsea were just able to get into the right place at the right time. I think with a couple of those, just really good uh, recoveries from their defenders. But yeah, the, the, the organization of Chelsea was really the, big difference I think in this game and it just felt like City were disorganized uh as a whole yeah that's a that's a good way of pointing it out and I think that led to just the fact that there was no emphasis or energy by the end of that game where they really could have and should have pushed for an equalizer um and I saw a tweet at some point towards the end of the game that was like City do know that they're losing right now right (laughs) like there's it just didn't feel like they were even aware of it so yeah. I don't know, Rian. Any other thoughts that you have from the game before we move on? Um, I, I look. I think a couple. I mean, you're guys... champions of Europe, by the way. Yeah, so congratulations. I, mean, look, I never, I, I never actually <laughs> said that because it, it kind of burns my tongue no, when I say it's... it. But whatever. <laughs> no, no. Just I, I think final, like final shout outs. Um, Andreas Christensen, who came in. What, 40 minutes in after uh, really sad that Tiago Silva couldn't 
finish this game. But look, he ends up getting the Champions League medal that he was denied last season. But uh, big props to Andres Christensen, who came in and basically nothing changed in terms of the defending, the quality, everything about it. I think he stepped in and uh, not for not the first time this season because Thiago Silva, I think, was injured for like a month and a half or so before, um, in the second half of the season. And Christensen stepped in beautifully and he did it again in the Champions League final. And a lot of props to him, a guy who was like pretty much on the outside looking in um, in the last few weeks of uh, Frank Lampard's time. And then uh, the last one is Edouard Mendy, who was bagging groceries like five years ago and and, and wasn't sure if he was going to be playing this sport ever again. Like, wasn't sure if he was going to be a professional anymore. And what what a journey, like what a personal journey from that to a Champions League winner at 28. And uh, yeah, just hats off to him. And uh, did well yeah, for himself. Yeah, he did well. Yeah, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. But with the Champions League final behind us, the Euros start in about ten days now. Yeah. I think. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the club shenanigans, Rian, that have gone on in the last like two days. Like it hasn't. <laughs> I feel like the season is so fresh. Like in terms of ending, it just it literally just wrapped up. It's not like we're midway through the season talking about transfers. And all of a sudden, the world's manager, like, rumor mill has just exploded or or has already been, like, confirmed. It's not even rumors anymore. <laughs> where, where do you even start with this? Like, I actually don't even know where to start. Man, I, I, let's start with I, let's start with today and work backwards, maybe. <laughs> like um, That works, yeah. But from, from, from today's news. Carlo Ancelotti is going back to Real Madrid um, and leaving Everton, going back to Real Madrid after Zinedine Zidane uh, announced his resignation and a scathing letter. Um, scathing for Zidane, by the way. It was yes, almost yes. like the most polite way of being yeah. angry. Yeah, scathing for Zidane. So, so maybe let's start with the Zidane part of this. He leaves Real Madrid a second time, a second time on his own terms, by the way. Leaves Real Madrid, um, and I think it was yesterday, or maybe was it yesterday or two days ago, a letter, writes a letter in, oh, you're going to have to tell me which newspaper. I think it was AS, yeah, AS. I'm, I'm sure Marco would have loved to have that feature since they really have all the mouthpieces <laughs> of the club, but no, no, he, he wrote this letter and I mean, it basically called out kind of by name, some people like he called out Florentino for ba- basically, you know, not giving him support he needed in the medium and long-term to make this team successful, this project successful. But at the same time, he thanked Florentino for giving him everything that he is, has ever been able to achieve with this team. So it wasn't like he was shooting him in the foot and then walking away. It was more like, listen, I'm going to backslap you, but you know, it's not personal. <laughs> it's kiss like, you on I'm the t- cheek afterwards. Yeah. I'm going to backslap <laughs> and kiss you on the cheek afterwards. Like it, it wasn't that harsh. 
But the thing with Zidane is that this is probably the angriest I think we've probably seen him. Like it was definitely, it was definitely very glaringly obvious that he did not feel like he, he like he could have been successful with the team. Like he had reached the the I guess the most that he could have done with it with the squad. And one of the things that I think that he was really concerned about the most taking this job again was not being in control over the planning of this team and Florentino probably to the degree that he wanted could just never offer him that until of course Zidane goes to become the French national team coach in two years, but that's (laughs) That's a whole different story. Yeah. That's what, that's what we're hoping for. Yeah. But uh, (laughs) the ideal track, but yeah, but it was interesting in that letter too, because he, he, I think he said somewhere in there that he wishes that his relationship with, Perez was better over yeah. basically over the last few months and you think back to what was it in this maybe end of November around the around the last stage or two of the group um the group stages of the Champions League where rumors were flying that if he loses he's out like yeah and you know we know where those rumors are getting leaked from. Like it's, like, it's, it's not the players in the board. It's definitely not the players, right? Yeah. So it, it, you also wonder how much of that really, um, really hurts Zidane. And I wouldn't be surprised if it did, especially. No, no, no. He he said it did. He said it. Did. It, it very yeah. much hurt him. You could tell that it was. It had an absolutely negative effect on the team in terms of just morale and you don't want to hear that about your coach. You know what I mean? Like whoever it is, you don't want to hear that unless you really, really despise them for some reason. But like one of the things that he also called out was, you know, I recognize that there are people in the club that were out there to essentially defame him. And that's part of why he left too. Like, why would you want to be a part of that environment? When you put yourself in his shoes, I get it. I completely get it. So, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's such a crazy and sad and only Real Madrid and and maybe maybe there's maybe only two clubs in the world where something like this could happen. It's like Real Madrid and probably like Chelsea, like where <laughs> the guy who wins you three mm-hmm. won you three straight Champions Leagues is basically like is things are said behind his back and things are, are leaked about him having to go and in the end he's just like. I'd just rather not deal with this, um, which brings us to we're just rolling the clock back to 2014. <laughs> Carlo Ancelotti, <laughs> who uh, loved the guy, great vibes guy, great, great calm presence and stuff on the sidelines. I, I would ask the question, has he actually coached a team in, since leaving Real Madrid? <laughs> like, I know he's been I know he's been a coach. I'm not sure if he's actually coached a team since then, but that's actually a fair point. I, I honestly I just just you're just thinking about I mean I'm just, I always think back to uh I think the first year when he was the Bayern coach right after Pep Guardiola was the coach and guys like I think Mueller and like Cruz were like uh yeah we're just like not really training anymore. <laughs> like, like, we don't really yeah. do that much in training and yeah. obviously no one does anything in training compared to maybe like how guardiola's teams but it's it's interesting that that plus just i said i think i said this a lot on our premier league pods it's just everton this all of 21 2021 just didn't play well at all and and you know, I it's 
where we might have a few reunions this summer that really already feel like they're not going to be close to as successful as the original reigns of these coaches. Yeah, you know, the the one thing that I would say is <laughs> I don't know if you saw this today as it relates to Carla Chilotti, but basically Florentino Perez was asked today, why was Carlo Ancelotti sacked in the first place after winning Latissima <laughs> and Florentino Perez's response was I kid you not um I don't really know <laughs> so there's clearly a reason why he was there in the first place granted I don't know what happened to him in the it's like he had a really bad breakup with an ex for like three <laughs> years after and just never recovered until he made it back at Everton. Never forgotten about him yeah, I never forgot. And then the second that that ex came calling back, 48 hours later, they were back together. Like, it wasn't even a question. So I don't know what to make of that. But that is not the only managerial change, Rian, that that we have to talk about. What's the next one that you want to talk about? We'll go on the merry-go-round. The, ne- the next one that is is looking more and more like there will be some sort of breakup is Mauricio Pochettino and PSG. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, I mean... It's not like it's not like he had a bad season question mark. He still won two trophies, right? There were cup trophies. Obviously did not win Liga. Obviously did not go on to win the Champions League. But by PSG standards, I feel like if PSG won nothing but the Champions League one season, they would consider that a success. But if they won everything but the Champions League, they would consider that a failure, which is just a ridiculous standard to hold that oil <laughs> club to. So I is in a tough spot. And quite honestly, I think he's, he's thinking like, I, I actually, okay. I don't know what he's thinking. Yeah, by thinking <laughs> he, he should go back to Spurs because he's going to run into the same exact problem. He's going to run into a Harry Kane. That's about to leave. I don't really know why that's a better option for him. Other than nostalgia. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I wonder what happens to that PSG job if Pochettino leaves. Because it's it can't have... He's obviously not leaving because of results, right? I can't imagine that PSG brought him in and basically told him, if you don't win the league, you're out, right? It, it, it sounds like it's more of a Leonardo, who's, who is the PSG president um an issue there and an issue with the board of psg and i think if he were to leave you throw that on top of now it feels like oh it feels like thomas especially after the the champions league win like thomas Tuchel also it, it feels like that's just a toxic job it doesn't feel like a job for any top let's say top established manager to that that they would want right and, and uh, look unless there's super, someone super charismatic and just believes in themselves so much that hey i can navigate this situation but um yeah you're looking at two top top coaches who were basically for one one way or another forced out or wanted or hated it so much that they want to leave uh it it's it makes like the future prospects of that job, especially when you think about the fact that Kylian Mbappe has still not committed his future past which, which he won't. next season. He, he won't. He won't. Which, until, it, it's like, yeah. Does he have one? I think he has one year left too. Like, 
Yeah, next year is his last year on his contract. He's not going to, he's not, that's not going to be resolved until next season. Let's be very clear. Like, he's either going to leave this summer, it's not going to be resolved until next season. So, I mean, I shudder at the, at the possibility of us getting to December and Mbappe has still not signed a contract and he (laughs) He leaves on a free. And and he is leaves on a free. (laughs) I shudder at the shameless, the shameless twerking that will happen in boardrooms (laughs) to get Kylian Mbappe to sign a contract. I I don't even want to think about it because because this is going to be smut all over to all over uh football twitter like, honestly, oh oh it would be smut. ridiculous it would be um, ridiculous shameless twerking is the title of the podcast by the way yes. <laughs> oh my but, god yeah we, so so we don't know what's going to happen psg it, it it uh it feels like more likely than not mr Pacino will force his way out of there um from a Tottenham side, who the hell knows? I think you're right. I, I, I'm not sure that this convinces Harry Kane to stay, but you know, we'll see. And yeah, uh, yeah I, if there's anything else, anything else? I mean, we're still um, waiting on what Nuno, is Ronald Koeman's future. No, uh, yeah, yeah, we're, Nuno, well, Ronald Koeman's future, I think, will actually be figured out very soon. I mean, we've announced Barcelona have announced two new signings already this week, none that are surprising Aguero and Eric Garcia. Both agreements have been in place for a little bit now. Next week, Laporta, during his press conference this morning, uh, during his press conference about Eric Garcia's arrival, (laughs) was talking about new arrivals, um, of which is to be expected. One, Yaldum is one of those to be expected. The other, we don't really know, um, but he said expect new announcements next week. So I'm more interested to see who's sold. Um, in the next couple of weeks uh, as the Euros kick off, which would be, which is imagine, imagine getting like into the dressing room. If you're like Martin Brathwaite after like a game with Denmark and you just see like 30 missed calls from your agent and like Twitter notification, Martin Brathwaite sold to like West Ham. And like, what do you, I, I, anyway, that's just a thought I had, but (laughs) To go back to the point I was going to He's got to be sweating already with the, Oh yeah yeah yeah. With yeah. a certain 34-year-old uh <laughs> best friend of the best player on the team. Yeah, that's a like, tough situation to be in. I mean, I love Martin Brathwaite as a person actually. I think he's one of the the most wonderful people on the team, but quality-wise unfortunately not there. Uh, the last point I'll make about managers, Nuno I think is definitely going to be highly valued by Either Everton or Crystal Palace, I think, would be the obvious moves for him. I don't know which is better. I would personally argue Everton could be better just because the squad is a little bit more solidified. And I think he'd have a little bit more freedom over who to, well, freedom in terms of actual power and then also financial freedom to to choose who who we really could play and and bring in and sell. So I would love to see him back in Spain. I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, unfortunately, so feels like that, an appropriate step up, I think. Yeah, from Wolves to Everton. Yeah, Ever- Everton's moving into a new stadium in what? Uh, I think in a year or two. Exactly. And so, yeah, I, I obviously will always tout that I think Grand Potter should get the job, but I think <laughs> I think this is actually the perfect time. <laughs> I think he was the favorite, right? I, I look. I think I think if you're choosing between Nuno and and Grand Potter, I think those are two great choices. Yeah. Those are two great choices, honestly. Um, yeah, what about Big Sam? Club forward. <laughs> he was already at Everton, I think, for like a few months. Before. Was he like, really? I, look, 
I think he was an Everton manager for like three months or something. I'm gonna after the break, I'll I'll let I'll let you know. Okay, <laughs> I actually don't. I but genuinely did not know that. But anyway, all right. Well, let's take a break and we'll talk a little bit about our just our our learnings and our musings from the season. Uh, I guess over the last couple of months. <laughs> All right, last part of the pod for probably what will be uh, at least a week or two before the Euros and I, I guess uh, I, before you even get into what we learned about European soccer, Rian, I guess the one thing that I'll mention just briefly is how ridiculously corrupt and, and money-focused the, the whole sport is, unfortunately, because <laughs> for the Copa America <laughs> to move from Colombia due to oh, unrest to just Argentina was supposed to be a joint venture. And then because of COVID move out of Argentina to Brazil makes zero sense. If you look at math <laughs> and that Brazil has the worst COVID rate in South America. Um, but the absolute shithousery that's going to take place in this Copa America starting, I think June 13th, is otherworldly like i am not ready for neymar to fully grab the ball and just throw it into the net with his hands and that <laughs> goal to be given by var i'm just fully not ready oh uh, yeah what was it the last copa america was like one of the first tournaments that used var right yeah yeah <laughs> it was, it, <laughs> and then that went and then obviously it was normal and went perfectly <laughs> and no one was upset so <laughs> yeah no that's exactly what's gonna happen this time around are you kidding me so anyway Gosh. that's one of the actually that's no fans weird. right no fans no and, fans and because probably no one asked any of the brazilian uh citizens if they wanted this <laughs> so yeah they probably don't even what's the point of letting them in no, no, this is a shady backroom deal done by Comball um, basically two days ago, <laughs> like or, or over the weekend. Because somehow Bolsonaro is probably getting kickbacks from this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably. Uh, definitely. <laughs> it's called a royalty. Get it straight. But yeah, anyway, that's actually one of the things that I learned about European soccer based on the whole Super League, um, which I'm partially convinced that none of our clubs are officially out of. But anyway, I'll. I'll... Uh, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Yes. <laughs> We've yeah, no. I didn't say anything. Nope, not shameless twerking is still the title of the podcast. That'll be the okay. Focus. It's okay. Hey, they said it. They yeah. said it. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, no, we can. I'm sure <laughs> that that we will not hear the end of that this summer for sure. No, but um, yeah, moving on to so the things that I I, I wanted to bring this up because over the last couple of weeks I've been thinking about like. Wow, like this season was ridiculous, obviously, and um, and draining. I think in terms of just watching and talking about it, but it, it is interesting now. Like Alex and I have been doing this podcast for almost two years now, and and I feel like it, I feel like at the end of the seasons, I feel like by the we're learning a bit more about just like I don't even know abstract things, whatever it might yeah. be. Uh, you know, just from talking and then watching it a lot too. So it's, it's nice to do a little self-reflection um, at the end of the season. And especially because this might be our last uh, episode for a couple of weeks. So 
I just want to talk about like a couple observations from this season and what we kind of learned from uh, the season of European soccer. And I guess I'll start off from my myself. I think I, I think I might have mentioned it last week when we were talking about the Europa League final. Is I think man management value the value of it from from my own point of view has definitely gone up this season. When you think about, I still find it hard to believe that Manchester United finished second so comfortably. Uh, and I think a lot of that just has to do with, look, Ole just kept everyone happy. Like at the end of the day, he kept everyone happy. Like guys like Luke Shaw, who I think was mentally just like not in a great place. A lot of his Manchester United career and, and this last season or two, he's been kind of brought back to life. Um, for lack of a better term. And I think that Liverpool's they're they're just they're just kind of uh almost Zidane-esque black magic of getting somehow getting into the top four, being down five goal five uh sorry, five center backs during the season. There's almost nothing that should have led to them making the run that they did at the end of the season outside of just I feel like Jurgen Klopp not allowing them to get into that kind of headspace that they couldn't do it and granted they got a lot of help obviously but by the end but uh, I think to be at the point that they were in the middle of the season where we were like questioning gosh is there just burnout from this team and and it does something had to change, whether it's the manager or the core of this team. And it all turned around. And I, and I think a lot of that has to go down to uh, just man, the man management, the just intangibles, I think, of, of soccer. That's really, as as any intangible, is hard to measure. And um, I, I think that was kind of like one of my one of my two like biggest observations from this from this season. One of the things that I that in the future I've that should be weighted a bit more, just a guy who has emotional intelligence. And, and I think that's what you can um, attribute to both Jurgen Klopp and, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah. And, and you definitely harped on it a lot this season, like man management over, I, I don't want to say over tactics, but can overcome quality, a certain gap in quality, not it's definitely all relative, but it can overcome certain displays of quality, i.e., Europa League final being a perfect example of that. So I, I think you're absolutely spot on. Um, but I know there's a second one. I don't know if it's more important, but I know there's a second one that you had in mind. Uh, yeah, but second one is, and look, it's probably been like this for a while, but there is no prototypical center forward. There's, there, I, I think that we... We expect every center forward to be the exact, to be just goal getter. They're just going to be your guy who gets every single one of your goals. And I think that we already been given the warning signs of this. Look, just start from Lionel Messi, like a guy, granted, great goal scorer, obviously, obviously. But in terms of a guy, in his case, I should say, um, who can do so much more than that. And I would even go as far back as you look at those teams with uh, David Villa, who's David Villa, who's more of like an actual quote unquote prototypical center forward who 
played very well with like Lionel Messi because Lionel Messi was not that kind of not a traditional center forward. And fast forwarding to these Liverpool teams, like Roberto Firmino, I think his career high in a season of goal for goals is 15. And that didn't happen at Liverpool. Right. 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 (laughs) Right? Like, and, and we went through so much of this season and even the season prior where, where uh, Liverpool won the league and people kind of sliding off like, well, he doesn't score goals for you. He doesn't, he doesn't score goals. And it's just like, that's not the point of a player like him. Right. Like, like, I think we've learned, I think, I think one of the things I've observed is that there are just different profiles of, strikers right and not every single one of them has to be this fantastic this 20 goal a season guy right especially if your team has other players who can score like that that's obviously like the kind of cop out that you can have if you don't have that type of center forward but um even at like a lower level i shouldn't say lower level at at like a yeah let's as as a slightly lower like quality level um and alvaro morata a guy who looks looked just really average in England with Chelsea and that was when he was kind of being forced to play as the center forward as the only the lone striker himself and I think we learned that he can't do that that's not his that's not how he plays that's or sorry that's not like his strengths that's not where his strengths lie and yeah there's a reason why he's looked great for Juventus um much of this season when he's playing with Ronaldo, um, or with uh, I think it's Kulusevski, who's who's the other uh, kind of striker like that. For great, great breakout season for him too. Yeah, yeah. By the way, and, and and you can see you can see what he gives you. You can see what Amarata gives you there, and you can see that I would even go as far as Gerard Moreno. And I know he scored thirty goals and had ten assists this season, of course. But you watch a guy like Gerard Moreno play, and that guy's not your. <laughs> Quote, your your uh, stereotypical number nine like guy who's just gonna no, bruise the center yeah. backs who's just gonna who's g- like this poacher or anything like that's that is a lovely all-around player who will get everyone else involved and doesn't necessarily need to score himself to have an impact on the game and um i th- i think maybe part of this too is just is is kind of like probably has slightly to do with, with watching Timo Werner this season too. Like even, like I said, his struggles with finishing were pronounced obviously, but it, it's hard to see many other strikers struggle the way that he did with finishing and still have the impact on the team that they did. And, and I think that uh, we, we've got to like, think about strikers slash center forwards. We got to think about them maybe somewhat in a similar way of midfielders where like not every, we know that there are different profiles of midfielders themselves and you can't force N'Golo Conte to play as like a number 10 or something like that. Right. 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 Oh God, that sounds unnatural, but (laughs) I'm even just thinking about that. I, I I would actually, uh, before I go on a rant, I'll I'll keep it very short. I would actually partially disagree with you Mm. just in saying that I think a player like, Luis Suarez is probably the last remaining top of the game center forward that we think of, like occupying the space between the center yeah. backs and slipping in behind. Prototyp- yeah, 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 per- like prototypical. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. But he doesn't drop. Yeah, he doesn't drop deep really to collect <laughs> and assist. Wow. Uh, granted, I-, I will say I learned this. I think 
today or yesterday, he has, I think, the second most assists in football history behind Lionel Messi, which is kind of wow. absurd. I didn't, I didn't know that until I got to verify if that's true because it sounds outrageous when I saw it. But <laughs> anyway, my point is, I think there are players like Luis Suarez that focus on hold up play and do that really well. But the modern day to your point center forward, quote unquote, is a mixture of the skill sets that like Robert Lewandowski has combined with David Villa slash, you know, Messi slash even to some degree, Gabriel Jesus or. Yeah, yeah I would throw I, Jesus I, in there, too, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would say like players like uh, like Rashford as well. It's yeah. not they're not center forwards and they're not staying in about a 15 yard space anymore. They're all across the front three. Yeah. And and, and maybe I should say that there's no longer one it more. Is, um, there's just a wider range, maybe. And, and yeah, and I might be wrong. I might be wrong. Like maybe there, maybe there was always this. Frequently range. you are, and, but yeah, <laughs> not like this maybe, time. Maybe <laughs> like maybe there was always this range of strikers, right? But but we couldn't like quite quantify it, or those type of players would would have just been like forced out of their teams. Honestly, yeah, it's like it's um, like we have to create like subcategories for exactly for these type of players. Exactly. That's all. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think Jesus is a good is a good call there too. A guy who yeah like you're saying would give would have given city something different in that champions league final he would have given them the pressing he would have given them i think he would have given them yeah that the hold up play would have been better everything about it so i i think it's it's time that we start thinking about center forwards and strikers in a different way i think i think it's thinking about a different way i think is absolutely fair i wouldn't go as far as say as the the old definition for the center forward doesn't exist um right. albeit is shrinking but i think we definitely do need to think about it in a more holistic way i think that's yeah. super fair so rian it's been a wonderfully terrible season it <laughs> has come to an end in terms of league play we will be back once the euros copa america and, and my beloved argentina break my heart once again um and when france just bullies everybody to the europa Europa final or Europe, uh, uh, Euro, European <laughs> cup final. I've I'm done the Euro <laughs> final, whatever that thing. I can't even talk anymore. Uh, my point is thank you as always for listening um, to our listeners this season. Wait, wait, wait. Well, right, well, oh, last, what did I last thing, last thing. Oh my wait. God. All right. Right now, quick gun to your head predictions for oh, who, who makes it to the final of the Euros. I think it will be France. And I think it will be, I hate that I'm going to say this, but I think it might be Portugal. <laughs> I think it might be Portugal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it will be England, unfortunately. Um, I think for <laughs> the Copa America, um, in my ideal world, it's Brazil, Argentina, and I'm losing my crap that day. Um, <laughs> but in all honesty, I do think it's Brazil. It, it's one of Chile or someone else, but I think it's Brazil and like Chile. That's okay. I can't. Oh, I can't even think about the Copa America, man. That's, that's <laughs> too stressful. Don't do that to me. But I think I think genuinely France and Portugal for um, the, the the final. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I, 
I think this is the most talented England team that they've had in probably like a decade and a half. Oh, for sure. Um, the defense scares the hell out of me still, especially if especially if Harry Maguire is on like one ankle. Why? Much. Why do you think I did not choose them for the final? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you there, Elias. I'm gonna say France, Portugal. Like maybe Italy a dark horse. We'll see. But I think they I think they'll need like some I, I think Italy need help. I think yeah, they, barely, yeah. they barely made it to the last World Cup. Or they didn't, sorry, but um I think they need help. Italy, I think, go out early, but maybe dare I say the nether no, I got no, I can't no, even take myself no, seriously. God, not with the no, <laughs> no, 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 no. The board's the coach and no Van Dyke. Yeah, I yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're totally they're... out of my pick of the picture for me. Oh, for sure, for sure. But anyway, can I now say goodbye to our listeners? Oh, of course. Oh, amazing. All right. Well, thank you as always, guys, for listening. We'll be back during the national team competitions and international competitions that uh, I guess encompass the gold cup and everything and every anything in between. So oh, yeah, nation league, nations league finals for the for Concacaf this weekend. Yeah, that's true. I think this is like the. Uh, sorry, sorry again to interrupt the goodbye. But <laughs> no, all good. This is a lot. This is um, I would say to people out there that they actually should try to watch. Uh, it's just the semifinals. I think it's on Friday, and then the final might be on Sunday, and it might be the U.S. and Mexico, like more than likely might. the U.S. and Mexico. Yeah. Um, and I would also say that the Gold Cup, it's looking like probably a fair amount of the European-based uh, U.S. national team players might not play in that. So they can get some sort of rest this summer. Right. So, right. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the big one for the summer. The can't Nations wait. League. Well, I mean, I can't. I don't really care about the Nations League personally, <laughs> but I can't say that on the podcast, even though I just did. So, all right, <laughs> we'll be back in a couple of weeks. See you guys. See. You. Thanks, guys.